Hey, pray with me. Father, thank you very much for the opportunity to be back again this morning in your house as we celebrate the birth of your glorious son, Jesus Christ. We, we praise you for that. We thank you for that. And uh, God, we know uh, because of Jesus, this world is different and it can be more different as we go and as we share. Holy Spirit, I'm going to ask you to speak to hearts today. Father, on a very unusual day, I want to pray, Father, that there's divine appointments that you set up on this Christmas morning, on this Christmas morning, that those appointments would be kept. Holy Spirit, we pray you'll draw men and women and boys and girls and students to yourself. We pray, God, for our hearts to be touched and changed on this Christmas morning. So have your will and have your way. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, once again, good morning. And Merry Christmas to you. We're so glad that you came. We had a wonderful service last night. Uh, it, I talked to my family. It's just one of those times, Brent, it was just a good service last night. We had a packed house and a wonderful crowd this morning. Thank you guys so much for coming. We're excited that you came with us. You know, Jeremy opened last night with saying how he loved the, the part of the shepherds in the Christmas story. And all I can do is say amen. Me too. And, you know, the angel shows up to those guys, and again, so unexpected because of who they were. Uh, they were the social outcast and all of that. And, and their message is this. Glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And that's something, if you ever watch Miss Congeniality, you know, every beauty contestant says, what's your greatest wish? Peace on earth. We long for peace on earth. And amazingly, after that great announcement... From the angels, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. The next day, the Romans were still in charge. The next day, they were still dragging uh, Jewish citizens up on hills and crucifying. About 40 years, 50 years after this, 60 years, they march in and destroy the temple. Never to be rebuilt again. As time went on and progressed... After the announcement of peace on earth, goodwill toward men, the dark ages came, the crusades came when millions of people were killed. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. It makes you kind of wonder, where's the peace? Henry Longfellow certainly did. He was alive and his son served in the Civil War. And he allowed his son to go and join the Union forces. And he was uh, quite an able soldier. And he was wounded gravely first and then recovered, went back to his unit and was gravely wounded again. And while sitting in a hospital waiting for his son's recovery to recover, it's when he wrote that, well, it's one of my favorite poems. It says this, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. I thought how, as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along through unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And then he wrote these words. Remember, his son's recovering from a grave wound. The nation's divided and torn apart by civil war. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. But I'm grateful that wasn't the last verse because the fourth verse goes on and says this. 
Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Henry didn't see that happen in his life because just 50 years later, the world was embroiled in World War I. It had gone about six months into the war. The United States was not involved at this time. And on Christmas morning, the strangest thing happened. German soldiers, German and French and British were facing each other. And German soldiers began saying in the native language, English and French, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. And finally, some of them braved coming out of the trenches, not knowing whether they'd be shot or not, coming out of their trenches singing, O come all ye faithful. And then the French and British troops climbed out of their trenches and joined them in what began known as the Christmas Truce. The Pope had called for an armistice for a truce, and, and the world said, uh-uh. And these soldiers broke the rules and broke ranks and then spent 24 hours together drinking, eating, singing carols. Some even said there was a soccer game played. But then the next day, they crawled back into their trenches and began once again the murder and slaughter of soldiers. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And it went on, World War II, Vietnam, all the, all the different conflicts we've had in the Middle East, the terrorism. And you might really want to go, where is the peace on earth? Well, see, God understood that, and that's why he gave us Christmas. Because God understands that peace among men really can't happen until there's peace with God. Let me say that again. Peace among men cannot happen until there's peace with God. And that's why Lottie Moon is so important. That's why sharing the gospel is so important. That's why Christ is so important. That's why getting the good news out. Now, truly, there will not be worldwide peace until one day when Christ reigns during the millennium on this earth. But the bottom line is... The more believers who come to know, or the more people who come to know Jesus Christ and understand the gospel and receive the great gift of God's grace, the less war there'll be in this world. The less conflict there will be in this world. And we got to understand that that's the problem. We are at odds with God. In our natural state, we are at odds with God. Paul wrote these words in Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. He said this, You who are once far away from God, you were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. The gospel becomes clearer, and the mandate of the gospel becomes clearer, the more we understand just how broken we are and how broken the world is. We get so frustrated with the world. We get so frustrated with our culture here in America. We get so frustrated with the culture around the world. And we don't understand that we live in a world that by and large is dark and have not received the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me read to you what A.W. Tozer said. A.W. Tozer said this. Until we believe, until we believe that we are as bad as God says we are, we can never believe that he will do for us what he says he will do. Until we begin to understand just how broken we are. This is so essential for salvation. 
You have to come to a point where you say, I am broken. I am, Anita, I'll use your words. I remember when Nita walked in my office and said, I am lost. We have to reach that point. And it's at that point we cry out to the Christ of the cross. It's that point when we turn from our sin and choose to follow Christ and experience God's amazing, wonderful grace. But that will not happen until we believe we're as bad as God says we are. We can never believe that he will do what for us what he says he will do. Right here, he continues, is where popular religion breaks down. So much of religion today wants to fix us. We don't need fixing. We need rescuing. We don't need fixing. We need a spiritual resurrection. Because the lost man is dead in Christ. Excuse me, not dead. Dead to this world. Dead in sin. And God wants to resurrect us and make us alive in Christ. So, so Paul continued. I had no idea we were going to spend so much time in Colossians uh, during this, this part of this series. This whole series just took a whole different turn for me. And I've just so enjoyed telling week after week the power of Christmas is, is not only just in the cradle, but it's also on the cross and an empty tomb. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 19, here's where we finished last week. We didn't, we didn't touch this. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, his son Jesus Christ. Let me read it again. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. You see, when Jesus Christ was born, it began a step process leading to the Roman cross, and God saw it as a promise kept. Way back in Genesis chapter 3, he looked at Satan and said, You need to understand something. You may bruise his heel, but he's going to bruise your head. You may have him nailed to a cross, and that's my plan but ultimately, say you will be cast into a lake of fire forever and ever and ever. And when God looked down on that first Christmas morning and saw that little baby, and in that little baby, he saw himself incarnate. In, in that little baby, he saw Emmanuel. He saw God in the flesh, and it pleased him. It pleased the father to look in the cradle and see the son, a little baby, God in the flesh. I love the commercials. It always robs me of brownie points, but I love the commercials where you had that commercial where the guy shows up and he has got this magnificent piece of jewelry. I mean, it's a ring. It's, it's a necklace. I mean, it's off the scale. It's awesome. You know, she opens it and goes, oh, wow. And he's going, beam, beam, beam. And then the announcer says, he went to Jared's. He went to Jared's. When it came to Christmas, God went to Jared's. He got the best. He got his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Just go back to Genesis chapter 1 and read it. He creates and says, that's good. He creates it says, that's good. He creates it and says, that's good. And finally, it's done. He says, wow, that's really good. And it pleased the father. He looks down at his little son, his baby son now, in a baby body, and says, that's very good. It pleased the father. When Jesus was baptized, this is my beloved son. When Jesus was transfigured on the mount, this is my beloved son. It pleased God that his son strapped on a human body and became God in the flesh. 
So God was pleased to have all his fullness, not partially, all of his fullness in him. In verse 20. And through him, through Christ, to reconcile everything to himself by making peace. To reconcile. It means, it means to remove hostility. It means to, it means to reestablish a friendly relationship. And amen, did God do that? He made it possible for every man, woman, and child, regardless of, of race or color or, or regardless of how big our sin list is, He made it possible for every person to be reconciled to Him, to remove, remove the hostilities. And he did, it, he did it through His Son, Jesus Christ, making peace. He goes on and says this, Through the blood of His cross... Whether things on earth or things in heaven. Have you ever wondered why we pick the colors we pick for Christmas? Greg Laurie, again, I referenced him last night. He writes some, he's, first he's just a great guy in California, has a great ministry. But he also writes some pretty good devotional material. And Greg Laurie said, there's a reason why red is the primary color of Christmas. And it's not elf on a shelf. It's not Santa Claus. It's not the poinsettia. It's not the red berries on the holly bush. Red is the primary color of Christmas because of the blood of Jesus Christ. See what he said? He said, he said making peace. Peace, again, between God and man. Making peace through the blood of his cross. Whether things on earth or things under heaven. Peter put it this way in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. For as much as you know, in other words, you ought to know this. For as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things. Now see, when I think corruptible things, I think like rotten garbage. You know, bad bananas. You know, you know, you know that time when you, when you, the banana, banana gets that dark color, and Judy says to you, well, she says to me, your wife says to you, eat the banana, I bought them. Again. And you peel the banana, and it's got that, yeah, crazy nose, mushy. And you take a bite, and, and you look at Judy and go, it ain't going to happen. That's what I think. When I think, that, I think corruptible things like that. But look what, look what Peter says. He says, you were redeemed. You were bought off the slave block. Not with corruptible things like silver or gold. The things that we value so much. Peter says, no, no, no. When it comes to our salvation, those things that we value are corruptible. They're, they're doomed for destruction. They're doomed for deterioration. So you weren't, redeemed, re, you weren't redeemed with something that was, you know, like, like it's going to corrode. No, no, no. He says, you're redeemed um, from your vain, your empty lifestyle conversation received by tradition from your fathers. With what, Peter? With what? If it wasn't silver, if it wasn't gold, what was it, Peter? Verse 19. But with the precious blood of Christ. You know, the Bible says without the shedding of the blood... There can be no remission of sins. Every time we sing that song now, I think it's, Oh, come all you faithful. Is that the last one we sang, Dave? Yeah. Born this happy morning. You've got to get yourself there. 
I mean, we're happy. We look back and, woohoo, we're happy. But that young couple, traveling 90 miles, born in a stable, Jesus Christ, the sole purpose of his birth was his death. It was happy for us. But how happy was it for them? Joyful, perhaps. But how happy for them. The sole purpose of being born was to die. By the precious blood of Christ, as of a, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. John the Baptist looked at Jesus one day in John chapter 1 verse 29. He says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And that's true. He was the one who came to pay the price for our sin. That we could be forgiven. And that's what's great about Christmas. And what's great is, see, there's more than one color of Christmas. There's not only the red, which we've already said it's red. The color of Christmas is red because of the blood. But have you noticed another color? Well, how about white? How about white? Have you noticed the new trend? More and more you're seeing white lights. When Judy and I were in Germany in 1977, 78, and 79 for those Christmases, we noticed in Europe always white lights. They did not have any colored lights. And that's so appropriate. Because again, why is one of the colors of Christmas white? Because when you put the blood of Jesus on dark black sin, you have white. The application of the blood makes us white. Listen to what Isaiah said, Isaiah 118. Come now, Isaiah says, come now, let's reason together. He's saying, hey, you know, God's saying, let's talk this out. Let's reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, like dark red. They shall be as white as snow. And though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. When you combine the blood of Jesus Christ with sin, what is dark becomes light. 2 Corinthians 5.17 If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. It's a good, bad illustration because really God makes us all over again. But my friend Rod, when he takes one of these cars that he has and the guy's out the shop and they take a rust bucket. I mean, it's like nothing hardly there. And they take it and take apart what's left and they rebuild that car from the ground up. They call it from the frame up. Everything comes off. It's rebuilt. And he creates a masterpiece. Well, again, the Bible says we were dead in trespasses and sin. Ours wasn't a renovation. It was a resurrection. And he takes us and makes us into a masterpiece. When you put the red with the sin, the blood of Jesus with the darkness of sin, they become white as snow. And then, Mary, then comes that green. Because when the red is applied to our sin, it becomes white. It also becomes green because green is the color of life. What do we have Christmas trees? Why do you think those three colors, red, green, and white? Because the red works with the white, and then the green happens. And I can't, you you always, as a pastor, you say, come up with a new verse. Is there any better better verse than John 3, 16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. 
The co- Amen. 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 The, the color of Christmas green is the color of eternal life. Oh, did God know what he was doing? When he sent that, his son to become that little baby, that little baby was bound to grow and have a ministry and hang on a cross and die and be resurrected on the third day. Merry Christmas. Thank you, Jesus. I, I closed, well, no, I didn't close. I was going to close last night. But I used this verse, the second verse last night in our Christmas Eve service. I intentionally use it again today. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, Paul's saying, you should know this. And, and I think it's like an, an experienced knowledge. It's not just knowing about, it's knowing. And I think it's been good for us this Christmas season over and over again. To make sure we understand the implications of the Christ child growing up and becoming our Savior and dying on the cross. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. That you through his poverty might become rich. What a beautiful verse for Christmas. That's what happened. That's what happened. We've already spent some time with Becca and Jonathan and the kids opening presents this morning. And that was awesome. That was great. But it's not as great as what we know today and hear today and worship today and experience today. And that is that God became man. Emmanuel. I wrote, a, I wrote something down. I even put it on Facebook. I wrote this and I said this. A manger became empty to fill a cross. That day, that manger was filled with a live baby. And that manger became empty for the sole purpose of that baby growing to become an adult man at age 30. For three years, he ministered. And the manger became empty to fill a cross. And the cross became empty to fill a tomb. It's so essential that you understand, Dwayne, what's so important about the tomb? It proves he was dead. Even with all the evidence presented in that day and today, there are still people who say he was in a coma. He just needed to be revived. The coolness of the rock resurrected him, brought him back to to consciousness. Really? Scourged to a pulp? Nailed to a Roman cross. And these men were good at their job. You didn't leave a criminal in a comatose way. That could cost you your life. And when that Roman soldier pierced his side and the blood and water poured out, they were the Roman authorities. See that in your brain. The Roman authorities were sure that Jesus was dead. So a cross became empty to fill a tomb. And a tomb became empty to fill the universe with his praise. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. And that, dear friends, is the story of Christmas. And if you're here today, 
And this is kind of new. Because we, we co-mingle religion so well. That's what A.W. Tozer was talking about. Where religion falls short, it's a feel-good thing. And you may have heard the feel-good thing. Or the other side, perhaps you saw so much of Christianity, you just couldn't buy because it seemed fake and plastic. And maybe today you heard this about a manger and a cross and an empty tomb and a man named Jesus who lives today. We don't give that time of decision just like we always do. My friend Brent's going to be standing down front. What, what an incredible thing to do on Christmas Day than to receive the greatest gift ever. And that's Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you already know Christ, let me just encourage you as we sing on a moment, let me just encourage you to celebrate today. To celebrate what it's all about. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, be sure and pause sometime during the verses that we're about to sing. Just pause and say, thank you, God, for Christmas and what it's all about. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for today. I want to thank you for allowing us to take this journey over the last five weeks as we've looked at a new perspective through a song of all things, through a song, We Three Kings. And see the deep theology and teaching and doctrine of Christmas. We celebrate today, Jesus, that you were born and lived a sinless life and that you died for us. You made it possible that simple man who were the enemies of God to be reconciled to God. Certainly God had not offended us, but we had offended God. And yet he took the initiative. He took the initiative and provided the way. Of salvation. So, Father, Holy Spirit, have your way during this time of invitation. But most of all, can I just say thank you for the time of celebration that we've had today. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen. Brother Brennan will come and stand. Let's stand and sing ourselves. Sing it from your heart. Sing it from your heart. Come, thou long expected Jesus. Come, Expected Jesus, born to set thy people free from our fears and sins. Release us, let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation. Sufficient merit be.
God, thank you. Thank you for a great time of worship today as we meet on your birthday, Jesus, to celebrate you coming in the flesh for us, to rescue us from sin and death. And we're grateful for it. As we go through the remainder of our day, be the center. Be the center of our, uh, our time today and just continually draw us to remember what this day is about. We're grateful for what you've done here today and for what you're going to continue to do. We give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, all God's people say amen and amen. amen. Merry Christmas. Christmas.